My name is Zach. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. I want to welcome you to church this morning. Uh, we've been in a series of talks looking at work and how our faith in Christ impacts, influences, informs, and inspires the work of our hands. And we're going to continue that today. But before we do, I wanted to update you on something I share with you this summer. Uh, for a long time, we have loved a ministry uh, here nearby called Forerunner Mentoring. Uh, yes, there we go. We got some mentors here. Their vision and their hope is to provide godly mentors for kids growing up in a neighborhood of our church who don't have a, a father figure present in the home. And so they work with kids, not just in mentoring them kind of in, in relationally, but in all of life's skills. They're trying to help them grow and to become all that God's called them to be. And we love them dearly. And this summer, they uh, reached out to us and they said, hey, we're trying to build a literacy lab uh, because we've realized that our kids, the students we're investing in, uh, their ability to read and read well or not read and not read well is one of those trajectory setters for their lives. And so we're really trying to invest in helping them have more opportunities to practice and grow as readers. So we want to start a literacy lab and, and was wondering if there are people in your church who might be willing to donate, you know, and buy one, get one part of it or another. I said, well, send me over the list. They had like a wish list. Send it over to me and I'll think about who might, you know, be, be interested. So they sent it over and uh, I was looking at it, and I was talking with Joe, who oversees our finances, and looking back at the way that our church has just grown in generosity over the last six months, the way that, that we've been giving to the Lord, you guys, us, like we're just honoring the Lord with our finances. Uh, we had enough, not just to buy one item or two items, but to fund the whole literacy lab, which is really cool. So out of your generosity, right, there are kids in our neighborhood that are going to say, I learned to read uh, because of that literacy lab, and they may never know you. You may never have a face-to-face -face impact with them, but you're gonna have a deep impact on, your li on their lives out of your generosity to the Lord. So way to go. We went over there uh, a week or two ago uh, and kind of saw it. They had it all put together. And so I want to show you a few pictures from that. The first picture is uh, we're meeting with some of their tutors who lead their after school program. They were having their pre-meeting before all the kids got there. And that was exciting. And then we got to pray for their staff. That's the next picture. Uh, that's Zach Garza. He's their founder. And we got to pray uh, with him and for him. Love Zach dearly. Not just because his name is Zach, but that's a good thing about him. Um, and then next picture is uh, us getting a tour of the literacy lab. And you can kind of see some of the computers behind and they're kind of all around uh, the room and they're explaining kind of the programs they have. And that was really informative. And then here's a fun picture of us in front of the literacy lab sign making crazy faces uh, because it is exciting to be able to impact our neighborhood like that. And we talk about building God's kingdom here in our city, our nation, nations of the earth, this is a way we're building God's kingdom in our city. So way to go, church. Give yourself a pat on the back. That's awesome. And I'm excited just for the opportunities that are in front of us as we continue to grow and live and give generously uh, what God might use us to do and who we might be able to bless with the resources uh, that we have. So in this series on work, we've been hearing testimonies each and every week of people trying to walk out their faith in the jobs that they have. And so we have a great one today. Uh, Melanie, if you are in here, if you'd come on up. Yes, Miss Melanie. And Melanie is married to a Zach, so now we've got 
Three Zachs mentioned this service. We'll keep working on it. Uh, get everyone named Zach by the end of the day. So, Melanie, share with us who you are and what you do. My name is Melanie Benz, like Zach said, and I am married to Zach. We have two boys that are in here, so I have a lot of accountability in what I say. <laughs> um, Preston is five, and Stone is two, and we have another boy on the way in January. So, All right. Three boys, and... The um, assignment that God has placed me in right now is to be full-time with the boys. So I serve them in our home. I serve my husband. And I think the primary way I do that as, as I was praying was just to be available to them, mm. to look them in the face and to meet their needs as best I can and to disciple them and to have encounters with Jesus. Mm. That's awesome. So how, uh, in what you do, your assignment, as you call it, how is your faith uh, inform you just to take that assignment and how does it inform kind of your day-to-day going about the work that you have? Sure. Well, I'll speak to how it's informed me to take my assignment. I feel like as a little girl, I knew that being a parent was a really big deal, even Mm. working with kids. I just felt like that was a big deal to God. He loved kids. Mm. And so I always kind of knew that I wanted to be a mom and I always wanted to work with kids. And so when we were deciding what I was going to do for the season while they were little, it was an easier decision for me to decide to stay home, but we prayed about it and felt like God's confirmation. Um, and so as a new mom, I was like, this is going to be great. I feel like God's called me to this. This is going to be a great assignment. And it was super hard. <laughs> I was not great at it. It was um, challenging. There was a lot of fear. And I prayed for a while for God to give me a great joy because I felt like in work, he doesn't call you to something that's going to be hard all the time. There will be seasons of hard, mm. but I really felt like there was joy for me. And mm. the verse he gave me was, children are God's love gift, heaven's generous reward. And I claim that, and we've been doing this for almost six years, and it is a joy to me to wow. be able to look in their faces and to feel God's heart for me as I look at them. Um, recently, he was telling me that he is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love. And so to be able to ask God to give me that same heart, because if he's that, then I want to be that for them. So it's a really um, unique, I think, big role to be able to, we, and we all have this role, to be able to look at people and to speak value and worth to them, um, whoever we're, we're with every day. That's awesome. So we're going to go into assignments all over the city, various jobs, industries uh, this week. What advice or encouragement would you have to us just as we seek to walk with Jesus and practice his way in our workplace? Sure. I feel like um, just, again, what he said to me about being available to them, I think we all have opportunities to be available to people that we come in contact with in our families and in our workplaces. And so just taking extra time as you see people, and I said this in the first service, but I don't believe people come into your office or come and cross your path for no reason. Um, Our neighbors right now, because our season is very family-oriented, we get to go and give them a banana bread, and that's not big. But for us, our neighbor's 84, and he doesn't get to see people super often. So all of our loudness gets to jump into his house <laughs> and give him some banana bread and just be available to hear him talk. So for all of us, we all have opportunities to do that. And then also I was thinking about how Jesus, he poured into 12 men while he was here, and he washed their feet, and he served them. And so God always challenges me with Jesus, I mean, in all of life, but really as we serve. And nothing is too little. I think um, no matter where we are in life, and Zach will talk about this in the life of David, but to be faithful with the little maybe that you feel in your life 
there's always a place to serve and a people to serve. And if you don't feel like you know where that is, God totally has that for you. Just to mm. ask him to open your eyes to who he's already placed mm. for you to be able to serve. Amen. That's awesome. Way to go. Thank you very much. So give her a hand. Love it. That, that could be the sermon for the day. Way to go, Melanie. All right, we are going to be in Luke chapter 16 today. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. I'd encourage you to pull out a Bible. If you don't have one, they're in the seat, uh, in the rack underneath the seat in front of you. You can get out your phone, your device, your, your copy that you brought. I'd encourage you, if you're newer to our church, to bring a Bible with you every Sunday because I believe God wants to speak to you through his word. He wants to encourage you. He wants you to know how much he loves you, how near he is. And we go to God's word each and every Sunday to really meet with him. And we're going to do that today. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been talking just on the larger topic of work, which we've covered many things in this series. We've been talking about how do you and I find and fulfill our anointed fit? How do we find and fulfill the work that we're made for? I believe every one of us has a desire and a longing, regardless your background, to find the thing that when you do it, it's just like, man, this is what I am made for. This is me firing on all cylinders. This is my sweet spot, or as I've been defining it, your anointed fit. It's the place where the grace and the power of God meets how he's made you. They come together, and it's just like, man, ready to go. This is what I was made for. I think we all want that, but we struggle at finding that. And then if we maybe find it a little bit, how do we fulfill that? And so last week I shared with you five C's that Jesus teaches us, five biblical principles that are meant to help us find our anointed fit. I just want to review them with you very quickly because today builds on last week. So there's calling, right? And we define that as your mission, your gifting, and your assignment. So mission, this is the thing that God actually has given all of us to do. So if you're here with questions, you're like, I don't know what I'm made for. What's my purpose in life? I can tell you, when you look into the face of Jesus, he tells us that we are made, we are designed, you are designed to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you're designed to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving people, this is all of our mission. This is our purpose. This is what we're made for, right? That's mission. But we have different gifts. The way that you're wired and gifted is different than the person sitting next to you. And to really be able to understand how are we going to live out our calling, we need to understand our giftings because our giftings are one of the ways that we express that loving God and loving people. And then our assignment, as Melody, I mean Melanie referenced, our assignment is the place that God has put us and led us to. And assignments can change over time, right? Her, her kids are not always going to be little and in her home. And as they move out, her assignment might change. Your work assignment, you might work at one company for a couple years and then you move and you work at another company and your assignment has changed. Your giftings aren't changing, your mission isn't changing, but the canvas on which you paint that out might change. But we wanna be led by the Lord in all three of those things 
because he wants to lead us into our anointed fit. Your capacity, how much can you hold? That was the second C. Your competency, the skill level you have for a task. Your chemistry, the synergy between people and your character, the motives and ethics that govern behavior. Those are the five C's that I encourage you with to think about your job and your career and your nine to five with. And I said, please, what I don't want you to do is to go into work and get there on Monday morning, and you're rolling up, and you're like, why am I even doing this? I'm pretty sure my assignment has now changed. I'm not gifted for this. I don't have the capacity. My coworker sure doesn't have the competency, chemistry with my boss, iffy, character. Well, I'm a work in progress. I just quit. Like, I'm, I'm encouraging you not to use the five C's to do that, although one person in the first service was hoping that's what I was gonna tell them because they are ready to quit their job. But that's not what I'm saying to you. I do wanna offer today a framework that I think will help you and help me help all of us take steps toward finding and fulfilling our anointed fit that builds on these five C's. And I encourage you each and every week to take notes Uh, I think that's a good habit because it makes us active listeners. I will say today is a teaching that if you want to get the most out of it, I hate wasting things. If you want to get the most out of this morning, I would encourage you to pull out your phone or something to write with because you're going to get some things that you take with these five C's. And sometime this week, if you'll take both of those things together and really pray about it, I believe the Lord will bless you and speak to you about what he has for you in the area of work. So I just encourage all of us to take notes. So I'll give you a second to pull out your phone, to pull out something to write with, to pull out a journal, and pull out your Bible. Okay, Luke chapter 16, Jesus is telling a story to his disciples. And as we get into it, it's amazing to me as we've gone through the parables of Jesus this summer, uh, how many of them are not set in a retreat center a prayer center, how many of them are not set uh, in, on a mission trip, how many of them are set on everyday experiences in the workplace. And this is another parable that Jesus is using to impart wisdom to his followers about life, and it's happening right in the middle of what could be your office uh, this week. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. This is Luke 16, verse 1. So there's a rich guy, he's a boss, he's a business owner, he's got a manager. The manager gets accused of wasting the boss's possessions, the rich man's possessions. So the boss man calls him in, verse 2, calls the manager and says, hey, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So he calls a man and he says, hey, I've been hearing rumors you're wasting my money. Bring me the P&Ls, bring me the expense reports, bring me the payroll, bring me all of that and tell me what have you been doing with the resources that I've entrusted to you. You can't be a manager if you're wasting my resources. Verse three, the manager said to himself, oh man, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here at this place, people will welcome me into their homes. So the manager's kind of thinking, he's like, oh gosh, I can read the writing on the wall. I'm going to be fired. It's interesting how he spins it a little bit 
where he says, my master is taking away my job, when really it's his poor management that's causing him to lose his job. But it kind of spins it a little bit. And so he starts coming up with a plan because he's like, I don't want to beg. I sure don't want to do manual labor. Uh, So what can I do to kind of, I don't know, parlay this into something else? So he comes up with an idea and please hear his motivation. His motivation and what we read next is not because he's trying to please his master. It's not because he realizes he's made a mistake and he's trying to make things right. It is entirely self-interested. It is entirely, I'm gonna do something so that when my master fires me, I have an end into my next job. Verse five, he calls each one of his master's debtors to himself. So he calls everyone who owes his master money. And he asks the first, how much do you owe my master? And the first says 900 gallons of olive oil. So the manager says, hey, tell you what, take your bill, sit down quickly. If you can pay it today, we'll make it 450 and call it even. Right, so it goes into let's make a deal mode. He's doing debt settlement. He's trying to get this guy, uh, give this guy a break. And then verse seven, uh, he says to the second one, hey, how much do you owe? And the person responds, a thousand bushels of wheat. So the manager replies, hey, tell you what, take your bill, make it 800, pay it today and we'll call it even, right? So he, he's wheeling and dealing. And again, why is he doing this? Because he knows he's gonna be fired. And what he's hoping is when he's fired, these people whom he's cut a deal to would remember, oh man, I like that guy. That was that guy at that company that was just, he, he gave us a break, right? And then he's gonna be able to say, hey, my master took away my job. You know, could I, could I get on with you? He's so unjust. Let me, let me jump in with you. That's what he's trying to do. Please make sure that you hear his motivation or else the, the story, we kind of lose some of the emphasis. So verse eight, the master now, they're having their meeting where they're you know, looking at all the way that the money has been managed. The master finds out what the dishonest manager has done. In verse eight, the master commends the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. Curtain closes, parable over, end of story. Now, one thing that we've learned this summer as we've gone through the parables of Jesus is they're not, it's not always obvious what Jesus is trying to teach, but man, is he a good storyteller. He tells the most memorable stories that you're like, I don't know now that I've heard that, that I could ever forget that. And then why in the world is he telling this story about the dishonest manager who the master commends? And, and I don't know, but such a memorable story. We've heard stories about the rich fool. We've heard stories about the seed and the sower. We've heard stories about the prodigal son, right? Jesus is a master storyteller. And here he's telling a story that has a point. But we're left right now with like, I have no idea what that is. What's the point uh, of this story? Jesus goes into uh, what his point is, why he's telling this. He actually, as a good teacher, tells us very clearly Here's what I want you to know. Here's why I'm telling this story. In verse eight, he tells us the first point. And this is something we need to realize as we pursue finding and fulfilling our anointed fit. He said, the master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. Now here's Jesus' commentary. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. So he holds up people of this world, people of light. 
people of this world, people of light. He's contrasting two types of people, right? And people of light, this is one of the terms that Jesus used to describe his followers. It was one of the terms he used to describe his way. It's one of the terms he used to describe himself. He said, I am the light of the world. He tells his followers that you are salt and you are light, right? And throughout the New Testament, the people of the light, these are the people that Jesus uh, has redeemed and brought in and they've said yes to following him. So he's talking about them and he's saying that they're, he said they're not as shrewd as the people of the world, the people of the world. Now, when the Bible talks about world, it can get confusing, right? Because it says at the same time that God loves the world, that he loves the whole world. He loves every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God loves the world. And yet, at the same time, we see this terminology, world, used over and over and over again, less to speak about geography or ethnicity or language or where you live or any of those things, but to speak about the operating system of people's hearts. And when he's speaking about the operating system of the world right here, the the people of the world, he's speaking about heart values, heart attitudes, the way in which uh, people go about life. They're operating principles. If you're familiar, you know, you've got a phone, right? You have an iPhone, it has a certain operating system. You get an Android, it has a different operating system. Jesus is saying there's an operating system for the people of light, and there's an operating system for the people of light this world. And he's saying that in this story, what we're seeing on display is the operating system of so much of the world, right? We see uh, cutting corners. We see someone trying to get ahead. We see someone wheeling and dealing and just trying to jockey for position and striving and straining. And I realize as I tell this story, many of you are thinking about the jobs that you're going into and you're like, oh, this is actually feels very close to home because I work in an office like this or have a boss like this, or have a coworker like this. We're, we're familiar with this type of world. We live in that type of world. It's the world God has sent us into. But as people of the light, as followers of Jesus, Jesus is trying to show us and tell us and even warn us that his way is different than the way of the world. And when we talk about finding and fulfilling your anointed fit, It is a realistic uh, evaluation, realization that to follow Jesus into that is just going to look different than the career advice that much of the world would give. It's going to look different than the office politics and the, the practices of much of the way the world operates. Jesus actually points out something good here in the dishonest manager in a moment. So it's not a condemnation of man. There's nothing good there. It's just saying the world is operating. The office that you're going into, the school you're going into, the hospital you're going into, so much of the way that we think about work is based on the operating system of the world. And he's saying here, the people of the world are more shrewd or more wise then dealing with their own kind and the people of light. So you feel the juxtaposition, right? And as we get into this, we all have to make a choice with our jobs. Are we going to follow the way of the light? Are we going to follow the way of Jesus and his value system and his operating system? Or are we going to follow the way of the world? We have to make a choice. 
And when you choose one, it means not choosing another. Now, if you choose the way of light, it doesn't mean that you're going to do it perfectly, but it does mean that you set out in a direction. And what we learn next flows from this idea of this is the way of the kingdom of light. This is the way of Jesus, particularly uh, as relation to our work. He goes into, he says this, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So leave it to Jesus while not saying, hey, I'm telling the story so that you are not like this dishonest manager. Like, don't follow that path. That's the way of the world. That's what he's saying. And at the same time, there's something good this guy's doing. Leave it to Jesus to see the gold in the midst of garbage, right? He he sees the gold in this guy, and he's actually going to encourage one of the things that the guy has done. That This gentleman, this manager, that he was a forward thinker. He realized he's about to get fired. So he's like, okay, how can I use what I have now to prepare the next phase or next season of my life? And Jesus is saying, hey, that's something that we can take away. That's something that we can take with us. And this is really important because this parable is contrasted with the parable of the rich fool that we began this series with. The rich fool did not see what was coming. He saw what was in the past. He saw he'd done a good job at his business. He had a lot of money. So he was getting ready to, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, and his life was made. And then he dies. He didn't see what was coming. This shrewd manager sees what is coming, and Jesus is commending that. And I want to lean into that with you for a moment. So, Joe, if you would bring me the pictures and the movies. Because this is a perspective that I believe is so helpful when it comes to thinking about our work and thinking about life in general, right? Jesus talking about this manager, had some money, uh, used it to build some relationships. Those relationships then were gonna pan out for him. He's saying of his people, he's like, hey, use the resources you have to invest in relationships. And he even calls us into an eternal perspective or an eternal mindset. The rich fool was thinking in a moment. The way I like to think about it, the way I like to talk about it, is the rich fool was looking at his life like it was a snapshot, like it was a picture, that it was like, man, he he did great at business. Take a picture of that. He had a lot of money. Take a picture of that. He probably had a lot of fame and a lot of ladies and all that. And he was like, man, my life is made, right? Take a picture, right? This is a picture of my family. And when you look at this, In this picture, we're all well-dressed, we're all smiling, we all look peaceful, and uh, just to be honest, that is not the way it is at my house all the time. But if you were to evaluate my family based on this snapshot, you'd be like, man, that's the perfect family, right? But that's not how life works. But so often when we're thinking about our jobs We're thinking about our relationships. We're thinking about our season of life. We think about it as if it is a picture. In school, uh, you think, man, the popular kids, they're always gonna be popular. And then you go to your 20th reunion and you realize that's not always the case. The beautiful kids are always gonna be beautiful. The athletic kids are always gonna be athletic. The rich kids are always gonna be rich. And then you get a little life and you realize, no, it doesn't work that way right? Life unfolds. It's not a picture that we just take a snapshot of. And if we give in to this mindset, 
Then we begin to evaluate the snapshot of our life, take a picture at any time, and then that, that's your scorecard. That's how you're doing, right? And so we begin to think about life like it is a picture to be attained. Like if I can achieve this and that, if I can make it there, take the picture, I've got it. That's what the rich fool did. The shrewd manager thought differently. He realized the curtain is closing on one act of his life and he uh, prepares for the next act. And I think this is so helpful for us. Rather than thinking about our life as a picture that we're just trying to get a snapshot, think about your life as a movie. Here I have Father of the Bride, part two, and remember the Titans, right? And when you watch a movie, what do you realize? You realize that it is an unfolding story. And the goal of the movie is not just to get to the end. The goal of the movie is to just enjoy the story and to let it unfold. And there's high points and there's low points and there's tension and there's resolution, but it's a story that is unfolding. This shrewd manager realized that his life was a story and he needed to think about the next act that was coming his way. The rich fool did not. Why does I say that in relation to work? Because if we think about our life as a snapshot, we take those five C's and we think, man, if I could just find the right job, it would fit all these five C's, I could check them off and I would be made. I would just be so fulfilled. And so we can look for job after job after job thinking that it's out there. Or you can do this with relationships. You can look for person after person after person thinking you're gonna find someone and then when you find them, you find the right person, boom, the relationship is made. But that isn't how life works, right? Anyone who's gotten married, you realize, you get married and you realize, man, I think I married the wrong person. Not because you actually married the wrong person, but because we are broken people and we all need to grow and we all need to change. So in some ways, my wife married the wrong person in me and God's growing me and helping me and helping me become more like him so I could grow into the right person. Same with a job. We can think, man, snapshot, I signed up for this job, I hate it. It's awful. I should just throw it away and go looking for something else. And maybe that's what God has for you. But maybe if you think about your life like a movie, you realize that the job that I'm working today is not necessarily going to be the job that I have forever. But that this is an important part of the story. There's something important about what I'm doing today in terms of the way that my story unfolds. So I want to encourage you, even as we think about the five C's, to think about them less like a picture and more like something that we grow into over time. Something that we grow into, we take steps toward that life is a journey or a movie rather than just a destination to arrive. And I am so tempted to evaluate my life as if it's a destination and to miss the journey that God has me on. And I imagine that you can relate. Jesus goes on to say, he builds on that and he says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling the worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So it says, okay, when you start to think of your life like an un unfolding drama, 
It's not that just we're sitting around passive waiting for God to bring about the anointed fit that supposedly is out there. But it's a realization and it's learning that where I'm at today and the faithfulness that I demonstrate with the assignment that I have today, the reliability that I demonstrate with the assignment I have today is the thing that prepares me for my tomorrow. And if I don't focus in on faithfulness, but I just pine away for tomorrow, right, I will miss important things that God as a loving father wants to teach and to train and develop me in. I remember when I was coming out of school, I was praying about what to do and it felt like the Lord was redirecting me in a pretty significant way from what my plan was. And I sensed the Lord speak to me this verse out of the Psalms, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And I remember that as clear as day. And I'm like, oh, man, I think I'm actually a faithful guy. Like, I think I, of anything I've got in the Bible, Lord, I've got this verse down. But it was so clear that's what he was speaking to me. And he led me to take an assignment teaching. And, man... Uh, I realized very, very quickly how unfaithful I actually was. Because when it came to, I can't wing it, I actually have to prepare lesson plans and turn them in. And I have to think through what we're gonna do. And I have to grade papers, because I learned early on, if the kids do an assignment and they think you're grading it and you're not, right? They don't ever get those back. After a little while, they learn the way this works. So I was like, oh man, I've gotta grade papers. And any of you teachers know, just keeping up with that is a significant test of faithfulness. And so here I am, not doing the job that I was dreaming for, but doing the assignment that I had, and the Lord is at work in my life, challenging me in the area of faithfulness. And was I going to be faithful with the lesson plans? Was I going to be faithful with the grading of the papers? Was I going to be faithful in preparing all things that were so challenging to me? Because I just wanted to get in there and wing it and have fun with the kids. But was I going to be faithful with what God had given me to do in order to be ready for whatever God had next for me in the next scene or season of my life. So taking this and applying it to our lives, I want you to think about your life, and I want you to think about where you are now, and think about the opportunities that you have to demonstrate faithfulness and reliability with the work that you have in front of you. And to think about the five C's, the calling, the character, the chemistry, the competency, and the capacity, and to think about, man, how is where I'm at right now, how does the Lord want to use where I'm at right now to develop me in these five things along the way? I was speaking with a guy in our church who uh, is an entrepreneur, and he was talking to me about some stuff, and he said, you know, uh, when I got started, I don't feel like I had the capacity to be able to do that. But I feel like over time, through being consistent, day in and day out, God has increased my capacity, and now I feel ready to take on some things that I long to take on, but I just wasn't ready for. It was faithfulness in this season was preparing him for the next season that God had for him. Does that make sense? Are we tracking with me here? So uh, there's a, a professor at Fuller Seminary named Robert Clinton who wrote a book called The Making of a Leader, and uh, he's given his life to studying how leaders develop. And I just want you to know, I look at you as a leader, because I believe you have a significant call of God in your life. You may not think of yourself as a leader, but I do. 
And he's studied this, and he's taken his seminary students through this. And so they've studied hundreds of leaders from the Bible, from church history, current day leaders, to look kind of how does life unfold? How does God work in the life of a leader? And when someone introduced me to this, you can get the book on Amazon if you want, but when someone introduced this framework to me, this gave me so much perspective about understanding this scene of my life and what opportunities are in front of me and how that would connect to what the next season might be. And when you take what I'm about to give you, and this is what I encourage you to write down, and you put that with the five C's, what I believe is you have some principles and a framework that will help you find and fulfill your anointed fit. So the first principle that Clinton found, uh, he called sovereign foundations. This is the first one you want to write down, sovereign foundations. And this is uh, largely what we're born into. This is the country in which you're born. This is the generation in which you're born. This is the family in which you're born. This is the gender in which you're born into. This is the ethnicity in which you're born. Kind of all of these factors that you and I didn't choose, we just woke up one day and realized we were here. But those factors are such important parts of our story. They're so important in the story that God is weaving in our lives. They're an important foundation that we need to realize. Because you realize if we're talking about finding and fulfilling our anointed fit, and we don't realize the generation in which we live, or even the nation in which we live, if if we lived in the Himalayas in the year 850 AD, our anointed fit, or what we would be thinking about in the area of our work, would be so different than it is today. And so part of us finding our anointed fit is realizing what's the foundation that God's put in my life. Both my parents were teachers. I grew up, whether I wanted to or not, we were going to read. That was just the way that it was. That was part of my sovereign foundation. That may or may not be part of your story, but God has placed valuable things in your story that are part of your foundations, that are important for us to realize as we explore, okay, how do I live out my calling? What's my character? What about chemistry, capacity, competency? How can I be faithful today to prepare me for tomorrow? Second stage that he said you need to be aware of is what he called inner life growth. Inner life growth. Now this was so counterintuitive to me because I was like, man, I'm an achiever. I want to take something on. I want to win. I want to take that step. Can we put up inner life growth? Because this is, this is the second phase that I want you to write down. Inner life growth. But what Clinton points out and what you see over and over and over again in Scripture is that it doesn't work that way. And when we're talking about faithfulness in one season, I want to help you see opportunities where God might be at work in your life in this season in ways you never would have thought. Inner life growth, which he said goes largely into our 20s, and for others extends even beyond that, is about laying foundations in our relationship with God. And it's about laying foundations in our character. And what that means is the place that you are right now, when we're talking about faithfulness, one of the things that God might be doing right where you are is giving you opportunity to lay foundation in your relationship with him and to grow in your character. For me, that faithfulness deal was a growing in my character. And it doesn't mean that I ever moved beyond needing to grow in faithfulness, but that was a significant season of testing for me. Was I going to press into the thing that God was calling me to 
Or was I going to not be faithful with what he had given me and check out? And checking out is a very real possibility along the way. So the job you're in that you're going to this week, the Lord may be at work in that opportunity, even though you may not like your job because God is saying, no, this is an opportunity for you to grow a foundation in our relationship and for you to grow in your character. And that is my purpose for you right now. And so often we can be looking for the five C's kind of just come to us as a picture and God's like, that's not the way this works. This is a movie. This is a story that I'm unfolding, that I'm writing with your life. Third phase uh, that Clinton talked about was ministry maturing, ministry maturing. And the big idea behind this one was as we are building our relationship with God, as we are laying foundations in our character, we start to discover things that we're good at. When he uses the word ministry, don't think the ministry line here at the end of the service. He's talking about the assignments that you and I have, the giftings that God has given us that we begin to discover and discern along the way. Wow, this is something that's actually like a gift on my life. And you start to use that. You start to explore that. You start to discover things that you're like, I didn't know that was there. I didn't know that not everyone had that. But you kind of get a picture of some things that you're good at. Again, Clinton said this is largely happens more into your 30s, which is so interesting to think about in our culture that wants to rush everything up to if you're made or broken by 22. And Clinton's just saying, no, 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 stretch this out. And I believe Jesus would just say, hey, stretch out our perspective. Right? And so ministry is maturing. Next phase that he has is life maturing. Right? So you can be good at things, but we need to go through some challenging things in life before we're at a place where we can be a significant contribution. There's so many things that seem so good in theory, and then when you live life and life punches you in the face and you realize, man, that looked good in a book, but that doesn't work on the street, you grow. And he goes through ways that people uh, have life maturing. They might experience sickness. They might experience job loss. They might get fired. They might experience a, a, a recession. They might experience all these different things, largely in the place of pain that grows us into people of purpose and character and helps us toward our anointed fit. So whereas in the ministry maturing phase uh, and the character development phase, largely you're making life choices, you're thinking about the job you want to do or the career you want to have, you're thinking about the person you want to marry, the family you want to have someday, right? It's out there in front of you. And it's so important to prayerfully and with wisdom take those steps. But when you move into another phase of your life, the issue is not about making a commitment. The issue is about how do I keep a commitment that I made? And I no longer feel like keeping that commitment. But that's a commitment that I made. Right? Melanie was talking about her kids, and she may never experience this in her family, but I know at times parenting can be very, very challenging. And it can be like, man, if I could just, I don't know, take a break from my life for like a year and then come back to this, right? Keeping the commitment. It's all, oh, I want to have a baby. It'll be great. It'll be so cool. And it is. But it's also really, really hard. Marriage, you're like, oh, man. If I could just meet the right girl or if I could just meet the right guy and just get married and then it would just be made. And that's so exciting. And I hope if that's in your heart, I hope that happens for you. 
My wife and I, we've been married 16 years. And we talk now about how our relationship is, the issues and what we're working through is so much different than when we were getting started because now we're living out a commitment we made long ago. For better or worse, richer or poor, in sickness and in health. Like we're, we're living that out. It's very, very different. With a career. Some of you are midstream in a career. That's like, oh, the newness has worn off. I don't know. I thought this was going to be awesome. Maybe I should go do this other thing that I've always thought about. And maybe you should. But for many of us, the Lord is at work maturing our life, teaching us how not just to make commitments, but to keep them. And we're growing up in life. And we're growing up through life experience. And then the last phase that Clinton talks about is convergence. And this is the season in our life where our sovereign foundations, our, our character, our relationship with God, which we've been developing and never move away from, our ministry uh, ability has been growing. Our life has been maturing. And then those things come together into a place of significant contribution. Or you're taking significant steps into your anointed fit and fulfilling your anointed fit. Convergence. And he points out so many people never make it this far. So many leaders never make it to convergence because they check out along the way. They get disappointed, they get jaded, they get upset, they get frustrated. They're kind of like, man, I had this word and now I'm out here and just it's all falling apart and I don't know. And they just check out. And you might be feeling like, man, I'm just going to check out now. Life is too hard. Uh, God is too hard. This stuff, walking with Jesus, is too hard. It's not going the way that I thought. This relationship is not working out the way that I thought. And I just want to tell you as your pastor, don't check out. Don't check out. God's not done with you yet, right? God's not done with you. Don't check out because there's something before you. Jesus is teaching us here back to our text, right? That if we can be faithful today with what life throws at us, it's developing us. God is at work in us for something good for tomorrow. Okay, that's convergence. Last phase, he calls it afterglow. I didn't really understand that, uh, so I changed it to multiplied contribution. And I'll tell you the big idea, but afterglow, I was like, man, all the other titles were so cool. Afterglow, I, I don't know. So multiplied contribution. And, and what this is, you've made a significant contribution where things have converged. And then as you age, you move into a new season where your contribution is not primarily through what you do and what you produce. The fruit from your life doesn't primarily grow on your tree, but it grows on the trees that you've invested in. It grows on your sons and your daughters. And so if you are older in the room, and I'll use that term loosely, and you feel like, man, I don't know where my place is, I just want to tell you, oh my goodness, There's so many people who would love to glean from the wisdom that you have as you have walked with God and you have gone through hard things and you've seen God be faithful. So don't check out and be like, I don't know what my purpose is anymore. No, no, no. You've got a purpose. It may not be through the job that you're doing, you're nine to five, but there are spiritual sons and daughters that God has for you to make a significant impact in their life so they don't have to pay the pain and stupid tax that you might have paid for, they can build on your shoulders. That's what I hope to be for my kids. I hope to be that for many when I am in my latter years, and I hope that for you. 
Why do I share all that? Because I want to give you a progression of thinking about your life like a film, like a movie. I want you to think about those five C's and think about how in this season God might be growing you in those and preparing you to grow more and more into your anointed fit tomorrow. Last thing that Jesus says, verse 13, and I can't leave this out. It's so significant. Uh, It'll be brief, though. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus comes back to this idea of you have to choose who you're serving. And I have seen along the way in our career that it highlights to great effect who it is that we're serving. Some of us, as we go through our jobs, we're going to find out, you know what I'm really serving is, is the gospel of success. That I think I can heal my pain and my brokenness if I can just be successful enough and get to these letters after my name or this title at my company or whatever. And some of us might be like Jesus points out, man, the, the, the gospel that I've been believing is if I can just make enough money, that's what's going to heal my pain and make everything right. Some of us are going to believe other types of gospel. Man, if I could just be comfortable enough, if I could just call my own shots, if I was just in charge and didn't have to report to anyone, then I would be made. Jesus is pointing this out. and He said, you can't serve God and you can't serve money. You can't serve all those other things. You have to choose. And the big idea here is that we're all going to be formed by something. Something is going to form your life. The gospel of success, the gospel of comfort, the gospel of money, something is going to form your life. And my encouragement to you is to let that something be a someone and let that someone be the one who gave his life for you, Jesus, because he is the one who is going to lead you into finding and fulfilling your anointed fit as you walk with him. And with that, we're going to close today, so I want to invite you to stand. If you, if you take away anything from today, I would encourage you to take away the question of what is forming me in the season that I'm in. What is forming me? Because if we're just hoping, God, what are you doing? What's the thing you have for me? All those questions are good, but I've found for me the place where it connects the most is, God, how are you forming me in this season? And then it just becomes really clear what God's doing because I see the way that he is at work growing me. And I just encourage you to take that away with you. And how can you be faithful with the opportunities you have tomorrow so that you can prepare for the next act? Okay, uh, we're going to take communion together. Uh, If the officiants can come forward. We're going to take communion, and we've been doing that over and over and over again to remind ourselves that we're not orphans, but we're sons and daughters, to remind ourselves that the power to walk this out is not just kind of latching on to some principles, but the power to walk this out is a person. It's walking with Jesus. And we want to remember his sacrifice for us. We want to remember his grace for us. We want to remember his love for us each and every week so that as we go out from this place, we can go out full of those things and not just kind of striving uh, into our week. So I'm going to pray for us, and then when you're ready, you can come forward and take of the bread and the cup, and the worship team will lead us, uh, and we'll just meet with God. We'll go to God now. Jesus, thank you. You're awesome, and you're good, and you're loving, and that you have plans for every person here in this church, Lord, that you want to work for good in their lives, Lord, and I pray that you would help us to be open to you. I pray you'd help us to be sensitive to the ways that you're forming us 
in this season that we wouldn't buy into kind of evaluating our life like a picture, but we'd see it as a story that's unfolding, not a destination to arrive to, but a journey to grow into and to enjoy with you, Lord. And I pray that as we come to you afresh, Lord, that you would fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to walk this out. In Jesus' name, amen. You can come forward when you're ready. Take care. 